0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston. An all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.
1: Welcome back to The Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. Today is the 41st day of the 60-day session, and it's also the last day to introduce bills in the Senate. The House passed that milestone last week, with a couple of exceptions for supplementary appropriations and resolutions. That should be it for the year. The House of Delegates held a public hearing this morning. It was focused on a bill that would change the state's workers' compensation law, limiting the penalties companies pay when a worker gets injured on the job. Randy Yowie has our report.
2: House Bill 3270 would limit an employer's non-economic damages regarding a deliberate intent lawsuit to $250,000. In his wheelchair, Logan County coal miner Nick Grimmett explained how a negligent rock rockfall left him paralyzed for life, testifying that the compensation was inadequate at best.
3: Uh, but they don't consider... I've been denied on very many things from workers' compensation. Um, we've had to wait. My wife has she could tell you more about it than I can because she takes care of most of the workers' compensation and it's just a miserable. But $250,000 is, uh, is really a pitiful amount to put on a person's life. The safety for men and women um, is going to go, <laughs> the company is it's going to see it, well, all they can get $250,000, let's just roll with it and whatever happens, happens.
2: Brandy Grimmett opposed the financial cap in the bill from a wife and mother's perspective.
4: $250,000 would not even cover 1% of his medical bills. My son has to go on without a dad to teach him how to play sports. $250,000 would leave us, we would be homeless. We would not have nowhere to live. Just don't pass this bill. My husband's laugh and the others is way more than $250,000.
2: John Christ II with Allegheny Wood Products favors a bill he says will help eliminate false insurance claims that cripple West Virginia industries.
3: There's so many false claims. Anyone with a serious injury can bring a claim and it causes a huge burden in insurance, uh, litigation and it's a huge risk for any employer in West Virginia. House Bill 3270 fixes all that. Should eliminate or mostly eliminate all the false claims that are brought and also ensures that any victim of an accident gets the majority or a bigger percentage of any reward that is gotten.
2: Eric Carlson with the West Virginia Forestry Association was one of several who favor a bill they say will provide fairness and balance and compensation and continued business growth. Only one company
4: actually insures 95% of the loggers in our state. And many of those loggers simply can't get the kind of insurance that they need to have to protect themselves against this. 3270 will provide that lower rates that will allow them to have an affordable opportunity to grow their business and manage their risk more appropriately.
2: But attorney J.R. Carter with the West Virginia Association for Justice said House Bill 3270 was not about balance or compromise, but big and small businesses establishing an unfair precedent.
5: All deliberate intent pays you is for your non-economic damages because workers' comp pays nothing for your pain, suffering, scarring, disfigurement. And we want to talk about a $250,000 cap. Now keep in mind, in medical negligence cases, for injuries like this, that cap is $750,000 now. That's for a doctor who is accidentally committing something while he's trying to render life-saving aid. Not a company that's trying to cut corners and increase profit at the expense of employees. House Bill 3270
2: remains in the House Judiciary Committee. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Opponents of the contentious Senate Bill 10, which would allow
1: the concealed carry of firearms on college campuses, tried to get two exemption
2: amendments passed today. Randy Yowie has that story and the results. Resigned to the fact that the campus carry bill has overwhelming support, Delegate Sean Hornbuckle, a Democrat from Cabell County, proposed an amendment that would give campuses a housing option for students who do not want those with firearms living in their building. There are some students, they're going to say no, we don't go to, want to go to West Virginia, Marshall, Concord, Fairmont, to say stop right there. We're gonna work with our legislature and we're gonna give you reasonable living accommodations too. So we're not gonna lose any money from tuition of turning the students away. Matter of fact, we're gonna be more marketable. We're gonna be able to go out across the country and we're gonna be able to appease every single student. If you're somebody who wants to live with firearms in your residence halls, we will allow you to do that. If you're the student that just doesn't feel right Well, we want you to, and we will make reasonable accommodations. Delegate Moore Capito, Republican House Judiciary Chair from Kanawha County, said campuses already had that option under the proposed law. Hornbuckle's amendment failed. Then Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Montegalia County, proposed an amendment striking the provisional carry permit, not allowing those 18, 19, and 20 years old from having a gun on campus. Suicide is an issue in West Virginia, and one that I think we need to
3: pay attention to in this bill and I think is relevant to this amendment because it's tough for kids who are going to school for the first time, 17 year olds, 18 year olds. So many kids are on campus, they haven't spent substantial amount of time away from home before. They're meeting new people from different walks of life, they may or may not agree with them. They're under a lot of stress trying to study and get good grades and there's a mental health crisis at our universities.
2: Delegate Bill Ridenauer, a Republican from Jefferson County and a former Marine said he put his life and trust in the hands of many 18 and 19 year olds and they should have the legal right for concealed carry. Hansen said Marine firearms training was vastly different from student firearms training. His amendment was also defeated. Senate Bill 10 comes up for third reading tomorrow in the House. For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. Today at the Capitol, West Virginia became the first state in the nation to publicly
1: recognize and support the Society of the Honor Guard, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Representatives from the Honor Guard stationed at Arlington National Cemetery were honored in the House and Senate chambers with citations, resolution, and a sense of respect and pride demonstrated by all in attendance. Near the governor's office, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier replica known as A Call to Honor was on display, presented by the Exchange Club of Georgia. The Honor Guard expects other state houses around the nation to follow West Virginia's example of recognizing their mission and history. With a number of public high school students that decide to pursue college education seeing a noticeable decline over the past few years,
4: legislators
1: are trying to bolster post-secondary education numbers. Reporter Shepard Snyder has that story.
4: West Virginia has seen a 10% decline in the state's college-going rate over the past decade. That's according to West Virginia's Higher Education Policy Commission. Shepard University and the Eastern Panhandle has seen a drop of enrollment of nearly 1,000 students since 2010, according to the school's public enrollment data. Director of Admissions, Will Bell, says a prevailing yet simple reason is that more students don't know what sort of career they want after college. So
5: we see a lot of of gap years, a lot of students who wait, maybe go into the military right after they graduate from high school. So they they don't necessarily know. We obviously have our students that do know they want to come here. They're traditional students. They want to major in nursing or biology, pre-med, anything like that. So it's tough.
4: Though the school saw its sharpest loss in enrollment in 2020, the first fall semester after the onset of COVID-19, the school has seen its first positive enrollment trend since 2009 this year, with a 7% increase in students since last year. Geographic location and access is also an issue. Shepherd University has a leg up in attracting out-of-staters with its closeness to Washington, D.C. and its campus right on the Maryland border. More than 40% of its students come from outside state lines. But not every school in the state has that advantage. Private schools like the University of Charleston say that despite the overall decline, they're bucking the trend. School president Marty Roth says they've kept an eye on some of the factors affecting college-going rates statewide. Due to a lower birth rate, we're seeing fewer students graduate from high school and therefore fewer students applying for a traditional four-year undergraduate degree. Roth says they're focusing on different types of students, like adult learners or working professionals coming back for a graduate degree or an associate's degree, and are pivoting to online classrooms. Schools statewide received grant funding to help attract prospective students to their nursing programs, in part to help address the state's nursing shortage. With some of the grant funding, we were able to upgrade uh, some of our healthcare simulation equipment, build a virtual reality lab, which students now use to learn about anatomy and physiology. Uh, So rather than seeing a human heart on a sheet of paper, they can actually put on uh, VR headgear. Vice President of Admissions at UC, Beth Wolfe, calls the statewide decline a multifaceted problem. She says cost is often the first issue for uncertain students, especially in a state where many don't live close to a four-year institution and would have to pay more for a room and board. Wolf also believes more students and their families think the investment into higher education simply isn't worth it.
0: $15 an hour, well that's a, you know that's $31,000 a year. If I can do
1: that without sacrificing the time and money to go to school after high school, that can be pretty enticing, especially if my family is in a situation where we're really trying to
0: make things work month to month
4: the state legislature has made attempts to create educational policies that would increase the number of citizens with degrees. This year, House Bill 2005 was introduced, which would create a pilot dual enrollment program for high schoolers, creating classes that would lead to careers in fields like healthcare, STEM, and education, as well as any other workforce in need as identified by the state's Department of Commerce. The bill passed in the State House of Delegates and has moved to the Senate Education Committee. This legislation comes as the Higher Education Policy Commission is attempting to get 60% of West Virginians some sort of post-secondary credential by 2030. For the Legislature Today, I'm Shepard Snyder.
1: At the start of the session, House Speaker Roger Hanshaw said that improving the state's post-secondary attainment rate was a priority for the session. Chris Schulz has more on where those proposals now stand.
5: Speaker Hanshaw wants the rest of the country to recognize West Virginia's skilled workers. At the start of the session, he said West Virginia has a disproportionately large number of citizens who have completed apprenticeship programs, but few of them have associate's degrees that count towards the state's college-going rate, and he wants to change that. Senator Roland Roberts, a Republican from Raleigh County, is the chair of the Senate Workforce Committee. He said proposals like giving associates degrees to trade workers will help the state's academic statistics, but more importantly, it will help West Virginians advance their careers.
3: This is another way to be able to help people bridge the gap, be involved in getting their their degrees even though they had trades. This is similar to what we're doing with the high school, going down to middle school now, helping them to understand about trades if they want to go in that direction or if they want to go to college and then also to tie in the the CTC schools with the four-year schools so that those degrees flow through there. We're trying to make as many pathways as we can for people to lift themselves up in advance, and I think that's a great program.
5: Roberts pointed towards two similar bills, Senate Bill 518 and House Bill 2005, that would create broader dual enrollment programs for high schoolers to earn both academic and technical college credits before graduating in theory, lowering the time and cost of attaining a degree. House Bill 2005 has already passed the House and is under consideration in the Senate Education Committee. For the Legislature Today, I'm Chris Schultz.
1: Senate Bill 10 is expected to pass the House of Delegates this week and become law. That bill, as we said earlier, would allow people with concealed carry permits to carry guns on college campuses. WVU and Marshall, among other universities and colleges in the state, have come out against it. At a public hearing last week, 38 of the 40 speakers were against the bill. Reporter Randy Yohe now speaks with Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, and Senator Mike Stewart, a Republican from Kanawha County, to get a
2: better understanding of the bill. Thanks so much, Bob, for that detailed explanation on SB 10. Campus Self-Defense Act is the official title, and with me is Senator Mike Stewart and Delegate Evan Hansen. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Senator Stewart, let me start with you. This bill has been proposed
6: before, so why in a general sense is it needed now? Well, I think it came close in the past, and I gotta tell you, as as a former United States attorney, I can't divorce myself of the experience I got in that role and saw firearms issues, throughout that experience. I think what we need on campuses, and I said this during our committee meetings, I think this bill actually makes our campuses safer. Here's why. Uh, Those folks uh, who are on our campuses now with firearms are already breaking the law. And so I I think the idea of being able to protect oneself on campus makes a, a whole lot of sense. And here in West Virginia, I gotta tell you, we're one of the states that has the lowest incident incidents of gun-related crimes. And so I have great confidence that the bill that was crafted, it was very well negotiated, very limited, very tailored. Uh, There are a lot of exclusions in terms of where firearms can't be. I think it makes a whole lot of sense today in West Virginia. Delegate Hanson, you've fought hard opposing this
2: bill. Uh, Why do you think it's not needed, period? I'm not convinced it'll make
3: our campuses safer. I think it'll do the opposite. Uh, we heard testimony in Judiciary Committee from a former Marine about the type of training that Marines and other members of the armed forces go through and how different that is from the type of training that people with concealed carry permits have. And I'm concerned that if there's a bad guy with a gun and we allow good guys with gun on campus that the adrenaline rush is going to be so great they're not going to necessarily be able to do the right thing and it might actually harm people more than it helps them.
2: Well, Senator Stewart, as you said, there are exceptions on campus, through stadiums, on-campus daycare facilities, at disciplinary hearings. You can't have a gun, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm unclear about the do's and don'ts for campus residence halls. Uh, How would that
6: work? Well, you're not allowed to have them in the residence room, but you're allowed to have them in the open areas at the residence hall. And uh, they're going to be areas where you're going to be able to check in your firearms. There have to be safes or areas where you can place those firearms. You know, I look back to what happened in, I think it was 2007 with Virginia Tech. 32 students, just an absolute tragedy. Uh, But Virginia Tech didn't have campus carry laws at the time. Not that it would have made a difference, but I certainly would like our individuals on our campuses to be able to in that situation in that tragedy before it became 32 students I think this makes sense and uh, I will say this that the the parameters we've placed around an existing problem it's not that there aren't guns on our campuses today there are and so the idea of campus self-defense which is the name of the bill I think it just makes a whole lot of sense today in West Virginia but
2: Doug and Hanson, when you're in your dorm room, if it's anything like the dorm r- rooms were when I was in college, it can get pretty crazy there for the freshmen and sophomores that, that are living in the residence halls. Uh, can this be policed when you're allowed to have it not in your room, but in your study hall or your lunchroom? I think
3: policing it is one of the challenges, but and that's why I offered a floor amendment today to remove uh, the provisional license from the law to make it so that 18 19- and 20-year-olds would not be covered by campus carry, because I, I think that young people, especially first time, people coming to college for the first time, are encountering a lot of difficult situations. They might be drinking or taking illegal drugs, and I'm, I'm concerned that this would place people at risk in dorms and elsewhere on campus.
2: Yeah, he had, he, his amendment failed, this provisional amendment, to not allow the, the 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds olds to, to be able to campus carry. Your
6: thoughts on that? Well, I think his amendment should have failed. And so let me say this, concealed carry, we're not talking constitutional carry. You can't openly carry a firearm on campus. But I think the idea of concealed carry, where every individual has gone through the proper training for the safety of a firearm, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, If you're talking about 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds, there's not a great deal of difference in that age group right there. If what we're talking about is campus self-defense, and that's what I believe we're talking about, that perpetrator at Virginia Tech, If an 18 year old could take out that perpetrator before we have 32 victims, I like that idea. And so we have very responsible gun owners in West Virginia, many of them very young. And I support the way this bill was passed. It was very smart, the parameters that were put around it. What will this cost the universities in in security and
3: such? Well, the testimony we got in committee was that at WVU it it will cost several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and the smaller universities, it would cost more because they're not, they don't, they're not starting with certain equipment that WVU already has. So it's a substantial amount of money that the universities will have to pay.
6: But when we talk self-defense, right, what, what's the worth of an individual? And so I would say this, that the idea that we have to have, uh, whether it's uh, places to lock up firearms in certain locations on campus, whether that is at the bottom of a residence hall, it just makes sense. I think this is a common sense bill. And so uh, hopefully uh, we've, we've gone about this in a very responsible way. Uh, this isn't wide open carry. There are a lot of parameters around it that seem to make sense to me. And I think it's reasonable that parents know that their son or daughter is able to defend themselves on a college campus. What about insurance liability? If somebody is in a classroom
2: and they shoot at an active shooter, and miss him and hit somebody
6: else or goes through a wall or whatever, where does the insurance liability stand? Well, I'd say this about insurance liability, right? We live in a very uh, litigious society. And so there's no question, perhaps this is one of the areas we need to look at in the future to fix in the event it becomes a problem. But I think the idea that someone in a classroom takes action to put down an armed offender who's harming other students or professors in the classroom, uh, I think that person is going to have a lot of support in the community for the actions they took in a very brave way. Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, there is some liability protection written into the bill for the universities, but it's only for a very specific situation where somebody's carrying with a concealed weapons permit and might, say, accidentally shoot someone, or maybe their adrenaline is rushing so hard that they're trying to do the right thing that they shoot their professor. Uh, but there's other types of liability this opens up. For example, what if, what if their gun is, is taken by somebody else on campus and that person uses it to commit a crime to shoot somebody. Uh, That's opening up the universities to that whole other level of liability.
2: There was a shooting last week at my alma mater, Michigan State University, and three died. It was in a classroom that I went into all the time. So on Facebook, some of my old classmates have grandchildren that are going to Michigan State right now. And a couple of them said they thought it would be good that they had campus carry. Maybe it would have been nice if somebody had a, had a, a, a gun to defend themselves. What do you say to somebody like that? What I
3: say is that no piece of legislation is black and white, all good or all bad. It's about weighing the gray areas. And if we knew that everybody carrying a gun would be able to use it perfectly, take out bad guys with a gun, it would be black and white. But there are so many risks. There are risks of accidental discharges. And one of the most significant risks has to do with the mental health crisis that we have on our campuses and the fact that so many people with mental health issues are having suicidal thoughts. And one of the biggest ways to increase the rate of suicide is to to allow guns, allow people who are having suicidal thoughts to have access to guns. So I'm concerned about that as well.
2: It seems to be a fact that there is a mental health situation going on at West Virginia's campuses. How do you compensate for that, Senator? when you're talking about campus carry?
6: We have mental health challenges throughout society today. It's just not college campuses. I mean, I think one of the areas where I think there's great concern across society are issues with respect to mental health. The idea that it only happens at colleges, college campuses is completely false. And to the degree there are mental challenges on our college campuses, all the more reason our students need the ability to defend themselves. It would be one of those students with a mental breakdown, one of those folks with a firearm that shouldn't be there, that would come into our campuses and do harm. Michigan State's a perfect example where I think it's reasonable to say that we want folks to be able to defend themselves. And uh, the idea that only bad guys and only those folks who mean to do us harm should be able to have firearms at the expense of innocent civilians, those who can handle firearms well, I think it's unreasonable. This is, this is a good measure. We've just got a little bit of time left. Delegate Hansen, a, a final thought?
2: Well, I think whoever named the bill, the Self-Defense Act, did a good job because it's hard to argue
3: against that. But I do think that there's, there's boundaries on the Second Amendment. This bill has two pages of exceptions. The question is getting the policy right. What age should people be allowed to carry guns? And where's the boundaries? And I don't think this bill sets those appropriately.
2: Uh, Straight questions, straight answers, gentlemen. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Senator Stewart, Delegate Hanson. Bob, we'll send it back to you. Thanks for that,
1: Randy. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at six. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner, thanks for joining us and have a great evening.
0: Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.